0: this is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favorite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
0: Hello and welcome to the final episode of season three of Hot Girls. Don't panic, we're back for a fourth season and you won't have to wait long for it. But to round off this season we caught up with the first woman to host a national weekly drum and bass show. One of the pioneers of the genre and a founding voice on BBC One Extra, DJ Flight has worked proactively to tackle diversity in the musical spaces she operates in. She's the co-founder of EQ50, which does exactly that. And so we talk about all of that and more, as well as how she built her career and going to raves in the early days. So enjoy this, guys. And don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend if you think they'd also enjoy DJ Flight on the Hot Girls podcast.
2: Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. Flex of the, the mix. it's fire, keep it going, we are fire, from London for the world,
0: let's go in. DJ Flight, welcome to the Hot Girls podcast, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> because you've had such an incredible kind of legacy career in music, I really, really want to start with early days, your sort of first experiences of music, really, like think way young, back maybe from your parents or family home. I guess I grew up listening to quite a mixture,
2: a mixed bag of musics. My mum was heavily into reggae and she used to buy seven inches from when she was like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And my dad was more into soul and stuff like that. He'd listen to reggae as well. But then I was really into pop and like watching Top of the Pops and seeing some of the, I guess, big dance acts of the time. SL2, Black Box, uh, things like that, really. And I was really into The Prodigy for a while. But yeah, I guess there was probably a bit of an 80s synth pop and new romantic influence as well, because one of my mum's sisters, her youngest sister, she was like 11 or 12 when I was born. And so I've got memories of going to visit my nan with my mum and seeing uh, Depeche Mode and New Order posters on my Aunt Lisa's bedroom door and walls and stuff. And she had this mad like black spiky kind of punky hairstyle uh yeah so it was quite a, a mixed bag i think yeah. as i mentioned
0: and then i heard in another interview that you started going your first kind of experience of live like electronic music was going to an under 18s night or an under 18s club night
2: <laughs> yeah so i used to go to a cl- um an event called club 2000 it was at a club called ritzy in streatham not that far from streatham hill station yeah club 2000 under 18s when it first started, it used to run from 2 till 7pm Sunday afternoon. Then they pushed <laughs> it back Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> pushed it back a little bit and it ran from 5 till 9. Uh, and it was wicked. I used to go there with my school friends. Every week we used to get there before it opened. There'd be a, a long queue going down Streatham <laughs> High Road of all these teenagers waiting to get in and go and rave. I remember seeing SL2 there one week and it was absolutely packed when they were there really really packed and it was amazing they did they performed on a ragga tip and um some of their other other big tunes of the time one week i remember going and praga khan was supposed to be there and one of their biggest tunes was called injected with a poison which i really liked but there was an an announcement maybe halfway through a guy came on the mic and was like unfortunately praga khan can't be with us today because they missed their flights or something some other reason so instead, we've got someone to replace them, Aphex Twin. And everyone was like, Who's Aphex Twin? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy with like really long curtains, middle part in, hair falling in his face, just started DJing this really hard banging music. And I didn't know who he was then. My friends didn't know. And the dance floor, I've never seen a dance floor clear so quickly. <laughs> it felt quite bad. Yeah. felt quite bad for him. But um, this was obviously his quite early days as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I find that quite interesting to think about when I look back and just what the kind of cult status that he has now. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I used to go to that to that event um and quite a lot of house parties and uh some of the guys that I was friends with and grew up with around that time as well when we were like 14, 15. They used to put on their own parties or would mm. DJ at people's birthday house parties or just do like like higher local events halls and stuff. Kind of one crew that, that would specialize in like reggae and soul and stuff. They actually had a mini sound system speakers and then the other guys who I was more friendly with, even though I knew all of them, they would play like jungle and stuff. And uh, they did eventually put start putting on their own nights under the name Garrison. And I designed their logo for the flyer. Okay. And that, that was kind of. As far as I thought I would get, like in terms of really? getting involved in music. I mean, I was really into art and design at school, and I did graphic design at college for two years. Yeah. And then the DJing happened yeah. like a year or two later.
0: So that happened after you'd left college and we started working, or?
2: Yeah. So I'd started buying records while I was still at college, and it was after I saw Chemistry and Storm play for the first time. I mean, it's a story that I've told probably hundreds of times over the years, but the sight and sound of them was completely different to anything else that I'd witnessed or experienced or been used to up to that point. Mm -hmm. So, um, I knew who DJ Rap was. She was my favorite DJ for a little while. I guess I was going to some small events, um, like midweek PM scientists was one of them, which Damien Lazarus used to run with Zoe Richardson Uh, That was on a Wednesday at Smithfields in Farringdon. But then before that, I'd been going to like Desire Innovation, which was sort of big, but not massive. They used to do parties at Camden Palace or Mm Coco and other London venues. Um, And then slightly bigger events. Sometimes i go to Club UN in Tottenham. So kind of medium-sized to big raves. But then when I saw... Chemistry and Storm for the first time at an innovation at SW1 Club in Victoria that w- was also known as Pasha and Cube and various other names. Mm-hmm. That's when I started, I guess, earnestly going to smaller nights all the time. So I started going to Blue Note for Metalhead sessions every week, mm-hmm. would try and see them whenever they were playing in London. Yeah. And then I, after a while, I started buying vinyl, just one or two records every now and again, because mm-hmm. that was the only way you could hear the music in your own home if you weren't listening to pirate radio or buying tape packs that were recorded at raves.
0: And did you have like a particular record store that was like your go-to? that you?
2: I'd go to Wax City in Croydon. Uh Yeah, Wax City. Um, And then I started, I remember going to the West End with the same guys I was friends with a couple of times and they would go to, like I learned that they would go to Black Market, then they would go to Unity Records around the corner in Soho. They would also check Section 5 on Kings Road those times you would go to as many shops as you could to make sure that you were finding all of the best new, rele- new releases and promos. Um, so I started doing that myself as well. Uh, so yeah, Wack City, I bought my first Jungle and Drum and Bass 12s from. I still remember the first two, very first two that I bought. And one was actually a 10-inch. So one, yeah, one was a Johnny L 10-inch, which was Tyconic Cycle. And the other one was the Doc Scott remix of olive you're not alone which was like a one-sided white label
0: yeah presumably you didn't have any kind of setup that you just had a record player in your house you listen to
2: yeah we had um so we'd had stereos and my dad had had like a stereo set there but my parents split up when I was about eight or nine and so we were pretty skint like working class Mm -hmm. family um so we didn't always have equipment And I never bought my own turntables. But um, I remember at one point we had this weird record player set that the turntable was actually on its side. And you had to like screw on this middle to kind of keep the record on so that it didn't slide forwards when it was playing. So I would listen to my tunes on that for a while. But also my friend Brian, who was one of the crew that... I used to move around with and who put on the garrison events. He used to keep his decks in a house over the road from where I lived. This guy, Nicky, big up Nicky. He just used to keep his, yeah, he just used to keep his decks there. And then they would go and hang out and play PlayStation or whatever console was around then Tekken and stuff and like take turns mixing and practicing and just hang out. So I started hanging out there as well it was a little bit later. So I went, went away to uni, but I left after one term because I missed going out too much. Like there was, where I went was in South Wales and there was just nothing going on there at the time. (laughs) So I came home after one term, dropped out. And uh, while I was there, a guy actually taught me how to beat match because I'd been buying records and I took some with me. Whilst you were at uni? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whilst I was at uni. Yeah. I've got a big up Derek as well. Yeah. He actually, I thought I knew what I was doing just from hanging around with Brian and the others, and kind of watching people's hands in clubs. Because by that point, I'd kind of stopped dancing and raving, and was just would just hang out by the increasingly focusing yeah,
0: on the decks. So. Yeah,
2: hang out by the booth and just watch people's hands, what they were doing. Anyway, I thought I knew exactly what I was doing, but I didn't. And he taught me how to beat match properly. So fast forward a little bit after I dropped out of uni, hanging out at Nikki's one day, and. I can't remember who was mixing, Brian might have been mixing, and they just went on, were playing Tekken or whichever game it was, Street Fighter or something like that. And I took my opportunity. I was like, oh, now it's my turn. <laughs> and they were like, what are you talking about? You can't mix. And I just got on the decks and yeah, started okay. mixing. And they were like, what the hell? Stop the game. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Stop the whoa. game. <laughs> Stop the game. Where did you learn how to mix? And I was like, see, I told you I could mix. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's the only thing I got for my one
0: time
2: uni. <laughs> Yeah. And then it just went from there. So I just kind of dosed around for a few months and then got a job working part time in a record shop Mm -hmm. behind Clapham Junction station two or three days a week. Then via Zoe Richardson, who I knew from going to her night PM scientists, Mm -hmm. she got me a job at the PR company that she'd been working at. And just from going out regularly and doing those two things, it really bumped up like my contact list um not that I really looked at it in that way but you know when you're just going out and people see your face and you become a regular at things it's just like oh hi how you doing and you just speak to people really
0: yeah at the same time though it depends on the setup of the space as to whether that like how accessible the dj is and how accessible the people are that are running the night but I suppose the familiarity and you were probably in your comfort zone there so you were maybe like a bit more outgoing do you know what I mean
2: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't even say outgoing, but when people recognise you, if you're going somewhere regularly, they know that you're into it. Yeah, and for the right reasons. So, uh, yeah, people people are just friendly. I mean, mm. it's quite a small scene, and it still is, I guess, even though it's global. So, if you know people, then they'll be happy to chat to you. It's it's a proper community, you know. Yeah, and um, I think some of that has been lost with the demise of physical record stores, record shops.
0: Mm. So how long did you work in the record sh- shop? Was there a mo- did, When you got the PR job, did you leave the record store? Job? No, because the PR
2: was like one or two days a week. Okay. So I was doing that and then doing the record shop a couple of days a week. I mean, when I worked in the record shop, I didn't get paid much. It was like £10 a day plus free records when I was there. And then mm-hmm. it gradually went up over time. But I think I worked there for about three years, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then did the, the PR thing for like a year part time during that time. Then I left the record shop because it started going through some difficult times. And I got a job in just a Virgin Megastore Express in Brixton opposite the tube station. And was just doing that part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it was still music and DVDs. So and one of my friends worked there as well. He pretty much got me the job. So yeah, I was doing that part-time. And then that kind of I think I was there for like three or three and a half years as well. And then during that time is when one extra launched and started. So as well as all that I was doing pirate radio guesting on community stations and Mm -hmm. yeah then got the call for one extra.
0: So did they they contacted you it wasn't like you were like ah this new station is setting up I need to go after that.
2: No 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 I would never go for something like that even when I was doing pirate I would never touch the microphone. I remember doing it one during one of my first few shows on Flex FM my friend who brought me onto the station basically he I'd only been mixing for a few months and he was badgering me. He was like, just come up, just come and play the graveyard shift overnight at the weekend. It's fine. It's just like mixing in someone's house. It basically was someone's house, (laughs) like whether it was their kitchen or their living room or just like a spare room that they had. So I did. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I remember being at Flex and like answering the phone and Francis had gone down to answer the door to let somebody in. And um, someone called up for a rewind and I was like, oh my God, that means I've got to speak on the mic. <laughs> and so <laughs> did it really nervously. I'm sure my hand was shaking when I was holding the microphone, um, just said something really cheesy. But it also made me feel good because it just reaffirmed that people were definitely listening and were enjoying the music I was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward a bit and whenever I did radio, there would always be an MC there or it would just be 90 or 120 minute, 120 minutes of music. And then a woman I knew who had run her own PR company, Main Source, Rachel, and she was working at Radio One producing Fabio and Groove Rider for a while. Mm -hmm. So she went from PR into radio production and then um, was involved in the setting up of One Extra. I remember hearing whispers about this new station. People were kind of talking about it, but they didn't really know much about it. It was like, yeah, this this BBC is starting this new station, blah, 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 a digital station. It was like, well, what's digital? What does that mean? Rachel contacted me and she was like, oh, I'd really like you to do a mix for this new station, One Extra. I was like, oh my God. Started crafting myself a little bit because um, she knew me. I guess at that point, even though I was playing for Metalheads, I was getting quite a reputation for playing the more soulful stuff as well through playing at Swerve, Fabio's Night. Um, So anyway, I recorded a mix on mini disc for her. She really liked it. She said, oh, that's really good, but can you do another one? But with you hosting, it needs to be hosted. I was like, well, I don't really do that. I can get an MC, though. She was like, no, no, we don't want an MC. We want to hear your voice. And I was like, oh, my God, no, I can't do this. Felt sick. (laughs) And arranged to record the mix at a Friends again. And I just did it with music because... I just couldn't imagine myself hosting the whole show. And it just felt too nerve-wracking and it didn't feel natural to me. I gave her the mix and she passed it on and she was like, oh, it's really good, but um, we're going to need you to come and do a pilot. So I remember going into Yordin House on Great Portland Street and it was, um, I can't remember, is it when they call it grey networking or white networking? It's when they're broadcasting as if it's going out live, but it's literally only going in broadcasting to the building rather than outside
0: it is broadcast to some people but only people
2: in the building in so i the think building. they were, may have been broadcasting just to the third floor which is where one extra was in yordin house okay above radio one yes yeah, so i went in and did a couple of those mm. Oh, it was horrible i had to drink a mini jack daniels before the first one <laughs> because it felt like i was just being thrown into this thing headfirst Hadn't had any training or anything. So I did a couple and they were like, yeah, that's good. And then I ended up doing the first ever Friday night broadcast of the Next Chapter show on, yeah, the launch weekend. And it went from there. It was an incredible experience. But yeah, a massive learning curve, steep learning curve.
0: Yeah. How long did you do that show for?
2: Uh, Five years. Yeah, five years weekly. Um, At first I was the mix DJ, but I covered. So L Double was doing two shows at the time because there were three drum and bass shows. I became the Friday night host. Mm after covering a couple and yeah, just being around.
0: Yeah. It must've been a mad time because it probably was so almost cowboy when it started, you know, when something's kind of in its infancy and everyone's yeah, just yeah. trying things. Yeah, you know, definitely. A five year period, it suddenly kind of formalises and formalises and probably with the growth of the station as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, when, when One Extra launched, they always said and kind of promoted it to be a pirate station, but with BBC budget So they didn't necessarily need all the biggest names at that time, Mm. but just people who've kind of been around that pirate and street culture, but were good DJs and would maybe become good presenters if they hadn't been presenting already. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was just mad being in that type of studio, in that building even, and like walking in and seeing Colin Murray walking around or John Peel. Hello! Um, Yeah it it was pretty mad uh, even though we were upstairs but um, yeah just being in that kind of environment and knowing that you've got you can put like BBC next to your name.
0: Yeah did you get some good gigs as well? Did you find that your like the opportunities that came to you as a DJ outside of the radio world also then became quite exciting?
2: Definitely definitely it definitely opened up some doors. I was becoming busier anyway thanks to the Metalheads affiliation and the Swerve affiliation. So I was already playing abroad and I actually had a residency in Frankfurt, Germany, um, a quarterly quarterly residency. I used to play at a night called Space Breaks. So I'd travelled about a little bit, but it enabled me to travel to and DJ in Japan, across the US and Canada, all over Europe. Um, it just, yeah, it really bolstered things and around the UK. Yeah, it definitely opened up a lot more doors. I learned a lot from yeah. my time there.
0: A question I was going to ask you just in general, but also I think it's relevant for this period of time, is like did you feel pressure when you were there to be playing a certain type of record, like constantly playing new artists or new records for example, or did you feel like it was quite free to play records from different time periods and different like could did you feel like you had the space to be playful or To be honest, We
2: could, because they were specialist shows, we could pretty much play what we wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we had to be a little bit careful with like vocal samples that were in a particular track. For example, uh, a producer called Amit had a track called Suicide Bomber that came out on commercial suicide. And um, I started playing it one week and my producer was like, no, take that (laughs) off. (laughs) Because I just didn't think like the word suicide bomber. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Could be, I don't know.
0: You were just thinking about track, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then another time, I was playing a track uh, called "Thugged Out Bitch" that actually the vocalist says "thugged out bitch" in it, and I was like, "Oh god, I completely forgot about that." Wasn't, <laughs> just wasn't thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally, I could play what I wanted, and I was being sent and given a lot of music every week. So yeah, I was always always playing fresh stuff every week. Always, always, and new artists and supporting new artists, and we had two features specifically to support newer names. One of them was on L Double Show, which was called The Cutting Room, and that was for new producers. And people could upload or send in their music that they were working on. The best one or the one selected, the chosen winner, would have their tune cut to a dub plate. Um, And then on my show, we had a feature called Breaking New Talent that was for DJs. And so once a month, they'd get a half hour slot to have their mix aired. And yeah, just numerous DJs from around the UK would send in their their mixes and I'd listen to them and then choose the best one each yeah. month yeah
0: it was quite a nice way for you to hear new DJs as well yeah yeah because I think
2: nice. I think at that point it had already started becoming very much producer-led the scene and so yeah my producer my production team because there was a producer and a BA which I always found amazing two people were helping me on my show yeah they ran the idea past me and I was like yeah that's that's wicked
0: what was the what was the process like then going from because then you took the show to rinse. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it wasn't straight after. So I left One Extra in 2007. And then I didn't do any radio for a little while. And then I did a few shows on Pyro Radio just so that I could kind of keep the momentum going a little bit. Yeah. And then I remember speaking to Zinc about going back on Rinse because I'd already played on there when it was a pirate Mm -hmm. in the late nineties. So around, I think 98 might've been the first time I went on there. So 98, 99, maybe into a bit of 2000. Yeah. I remember seeing Zinc and I think it was in Plastic People actually. And I was just like, oh yeah, I just blatantly asked him any chance of me getting a show on Rinse. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, let me speak to some people. Um, And it was around the time that they were applying for their community license Okay. And so I think they wanted to kind of broaden their musical output a little bit. And they brought a few of us on. So there was me, D. Bridge, Stamina, MC, and a couple of others who were kind of on rotation on this time slot. So I was doing a once a month show, I think, when I went back on there. And yeah, I was back on there for about another five years.
0: So I'm just like thinking chronologically. Was it when you were at the BBC That when did you, because you founded a record label Tell me about the process of founding that and your relationship with production.
2: So running my own label was something that I'd thought about quite a lot and used to say to people, well, if my platform ever, I've, if I feel my platform has become big enough to kind of support newer artists um, who deserve to be heard, whether they've had a few releases or not, then I would love to do it. Um, and I knew what the logo was roughly would look like and the sleeves and I knew exactly how I wanted it to look yeah and then a friend of mine at the time she had been working at a couple of other labels already yeah we were talking and uh yeah just discuss a label and she was like why don't we just do it together then and so we did it was a lot of fun yeah but I'm not really into the admin side of things I like the A&R and creative side yeah just the behind the scenes admin and isrc codes and all of that i'm just like no somebody else can do that um (laughs) but it was cool we released martin's first ever record Mm -hmm. and ended up putting out two 12s by him and uh visionary from canada is when they were still a duo and heist one of his earlier releases i think he was our second one and i think there ended up being about how many releases did i do only eight i think in total
0: was it quite an organic thing, it the kind of process of moving on to something else? Or was there like a moment where you decided, you know what, I think I'm done with this?
2: Um, I don't think it was something that I purposefully stopped. But there was just other stuff going on mm. around the time as well. So the label launched in 2005, so kind of midway through my time at One Extra. Yeah, after leaving One Extra, my bookings took a real nosedive, mm-hmm. which... At the time, I couldn't really understand why, but I kind of could. But it just made me think that the scene is way too fickle
0: Mm. or some
2: people were way too fickle for their own good just because I don't have BBC next to my name anymore. It doesn't mean to say that I'm not going to play the same type of set or it doesn't mean that I'm not a good DJ anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah, so there were some financial things. I started working at Black Market, BM Soho, around... Well, it was yeah, it was after I'd left One Extra, so around... Maybe around two thousand eight or nine. Yeah, I was there for a few years as well. Yeah, just other stuff going on, family yeah. stuff, and financial worries. Yeah, but I kind of yeah took a break from it, and then put out another couple of twelves, and then yeah, the distribution company that I had been going through went down, and it just kind of fizzled. Really,
0: yeah. In terms of because you've mentioned a couple of times sort of changes in the scene, and I was thinking about EQ fifty, and um, when did you when did you found that? So that was,
2: we founded EQ50 in 2018. So right at the end of 2017 into 2018, it was Mantra published some stats on her Facebook page and um, she'd just been bored over like Christmas and New Year and decided to have a look at the numbers, the number of women that had played across some of the biggest drum and bass label promoter events Mm -hmm. at that time so she looked at hospital she looked at metalheads she looked at critical and included her own rupture night in that and kind of looked online and mainly around facebook i think just looking at facebook events yeah just as many events as she could find in the uk for each label for that year and worked out the percentage of sets that women had played And they were really, really bad statistics, Mm. like really low, really, really bad. I think with the Metalheads one, maybe three sets in the whole year of events had been played by a woman, and I know that I wasn't one of them. Mm. (laughs) I hadn't been booked for any Metalheads events in the UK that year. So yeah, that was quite eye-opening, and she published the stats on her Facebook page, and it caused quite a big reaction. Some of it was a bit of a backlash and people getting defensive people that aren't even involved in the labels getting defensive for no reason. She's like, "Well, the figures are here in black and black in black and white." Yeah.
0: She's like, "I'm not even I didn't even need to comment yeah. the figures literally yeah. say hey, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Rupture came out the best out of the label. She looked at but there was still room for improvement, which she already knew and was accountable for. Anyway, so fast forward a little bit. Uh, Red Bull were doing their normal not novelty events. And she contacted them to do a rupture special, but obviously with all women, because that's how their events run. So there was a DJ, DJ and Q&A with me and Storm in one room. Um, Mantra and Jin did an engineering talk in another room. And then Kyrist was looking at production in another room. It was really wicked, a really nice vibe, um, relaxed, packed in there. Each room was busy. Um, and we all enjoyed it so much that we were going to try and do more with them or elsewhere. I know Mantra contacted a couple of organizations or platforms to try and use their space. And I said, it would be nice if we could do something ourselves. So it's by drum and bass for drum and bass. Nothing really happened for a little while. This is why Mantra is so great, because she gets shit done. <laughs> <laughs> she's, and she's up yeah, with. she she's, she's good at like, yeah, just kind of being pretty proactive and getting stuff done so yeah things went quiet a little bit there were a few email chains and stuff and then yeah we had a meeting and um, decided to go for it Mm. and then we had our first own event at the end of 2018 which was at five miles in north London probably the wrong venue to do the first one just because it's a bit out of the way but it was really good We had some women come down and it was a nice vibe again, nice and relaxed. And Mantra and Jin did a promotion talk. So what people need to think about when they want to promote a night, like from the very beginning, setting up through to the actual execution of the night. Myself and Storm did a DJ Q&A again and we played a back-to-back set. Uh, Kay from The Untouchables came over and she did a production workshop, like how to kind of make and cut up beats Mm -hmm. and then there was a producer's surgery as well so women could upload their tracks ahead of time and then there was Mm -hmm. like an industry panel giving feedback
0: yeah do you think um since 2018 obviously not excluding the past year but i think it's kind of hard to get such a gauge for how things have changed over the past year because obviously there haven't been any events did you feel like there was positive change starting to come in terms of diversity within the scene
2: yeah, I think so. I mean, it's something...
0: I, s- I hear it and read it quite a lot. I think people forget
2: how long some of us have been around, and that there have been all-women crews around before, but the fact that more will become invisible, and in large part that's due to the internet, and the e like social media, and the ease of being able to film a set and put it online or now strip people streaming from home. Mm. That's all definitely helped. And yeah, more women becoming more visible, increasing their visibility encourages more to get involved as well. So it's been like a very slow, gradual thing over the years, but there's definitely been, and I think I can get away with saying this, there's definitely been more, even more happening since EQ50 has been around that might sound quite big-headed to some people but i think it's true i think think
0: it's probably true and i think it's good to without sounding too like a poster embrace your power or embrace like you know the what you can influence and what you can kind of drive Mm. uh, from a change point of view this is uh, gonna kind of take you into a different space but what's your favorite kind of um what's your favorite kind of venue to play when you can play out and about and there's a crowd I always give the same kind of boring answer, really.
2: Just that's okay. <laughs> uh, I like. I still prefer the smaller venue that's tight and that you can get. You can feel a proper vibe, especially when it's packed, and the sound system is on point. Mm. Um, there's nothing worse than being in a really nice venue that's got a crap sound system. If you've got a wicked sound system, it also doesn't matter if the venue's grotty. So yeah, a decent venue, so small to maybe just about medium-sized, good sound system, good vibe, good tunes, good people. That's perfect. Perfect. Couple of drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still go out as much as you used to? Not as much as I used to, no. I'm a fair bit older and where I'm working uh, full-time now, where I have been working full-time for Prism Radio Association, it's mad how quickly time has flown. I mean, there aren't as many like midweek events going on. Yeah. I play at some of them, like Soul In Motion and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't go out as much as I used quite to. Quite as
0: much. <laughs> 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 Although like post this year, you'll have like two years worth of um, <laughs> noise out. Do because... you know what I've
2: really been missing though? Live music. Oh my God. Mm. Just being able to go to like Ronnie Scott's or just go and, yeah, listen to people playing some live music. Really missed that.
0: I-, I think I miss just um, just crowds, just busyness. Like the energy that you get from being, mm. just not quite, having quite enough space. <laughs> Can't wait. How did you, you mentioned um, Prison Radio Association. How did you get involved with them in the first place? And I also really want to hear just a bit about Windrush because, yeah, I'm just really interested in in the kind of inception behind that. Okay. But how did you get involved with them in the first place?
2: So it was just simply me seeing the job being advertised. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd been working at Black Market for a few years by that point. My DJ bookings weren't great. I needed to find something that was more stable, to be able to cover my bills and live. Mm. And I thought, well, I've got quite a lot of experience in radio. Why don't I look for some radio producer roles? Um, but everything that I was looking at, it was more, um, I guess, people that had actually studied radio at university and college.
0: Right. Yeah. So
2: people that had a proper production background mm-hmm. rather than someone who'd done quite a lot of presenting and. I did help out at Rince for around a year as a broadcast assistant on a couple of shows. Yeah. And then I saw this role being advertised and it was pretty much an internship, kind of. They needed someone as a broadcast assistant and I to work on the request shows at first. And yeah, I applied for it, had an interview and got the job. And I'm still
0: there nearly eight years later. It's Amazing. Mad. Presumably, your role's changed a bit, quite a bit since you've been there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm an actual producer now. Um, I've learned a lot while being there, especially in the first year or two. But even the way they work is completely different to other production companies, like because there's two teams of us, one in London, one just outside Manchester, who actually work in prison. So ordinarily, I'm based in Brixton Prison, mm-hmm. HMP Brixton. We've got a space. That's got like a kind of, I don't really want to call it a classroom space, but it's a space with a table in the middle for people to eat lunch round. And then there's like seven computers um, with chairs that, so we can take up to seven men who are serving time at a time. And we've got our office space Mm -hmm. that's separate, separated because we've got access to the internet. They're not allowed it when they're in prison. Um, And two small studios. Nice. So it's a really cool little setup. It's like, an oasis in the middle of the jail. When mm. they come and work for us, they say that they feel like they don't feel like they're in prison.
0: Yeah, it must like, have a totally different like yeah. vibe.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's really relaxed in our space, and um, we treat it like any other radio, radio station on the outside, mm. you know. So we respect them; they respect us. We're all on the same team. Um, we're all working to make good radio for this mm. national
0: station that is really helping people while they're inside. Did you record the interviews for Windrush? Did you record those in that studio, in those studios? Or did you have to do it over Zoom?
2: No, I did it all, yeah, we used another software, IP DTL. Okay. I did most of them. Um, I did one or two on Zoom. My dad's interview, it was the first one, and I kind of set up my microphone for him and then recorded myself into a handheld mm-hmm. handheld recorder. But yeah, that was that was really heavy working on that last year. So yeah. we'd applied for funding from a Windrush grant and were awarded some. I produced all of it during lockdown. And it was really tough, like considering it was a pandemic, plus watching the global civil rights uprising unfold before my eyes and just the subject matter, um, which is very close to home because my dad and my grandmother came over, they're part of the Windrush. So my grandmother came over first. I'm not sure exactly what year But she'd been here, I think she left my dad when he was about five. And then she sent for him when he was 14. He came to England when he was 14. So yeah, she was away from him for like nine years. Yeah, just really close to home. And it was, it felt really heavy at times working on that with the subject matter, being so close to home and just knowing that a lot of people who came over during those times and after, and even before, still aren't fully respected, still haven't been made on the most part, to feel fully part of Britain, even though they contributed and still are contributing so much. Um, Music, culture, fashion, food, everything. Art, poetry, upholding the NHS, postal service, everything. uh, Transport. So, yeah, it did feel really heavy and it was interesting just to see the common threads with everybody's stories as well mm-hmm. whether they were Windrush themselves of the Windrush generation quote-unquote or whether they were a descendant um just very common threads linking all of the stories but I felt really proud to work on it as well and my yeah. sister my sister did the artwork really um yeah That's so yeah it became a, a small family affair a nice
0: family yeah thing. <laughs> When you had the conversation with your father, did you go a lot deeper or explore it, things in a different way than you'd had that com- those conversations with him before?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, much. There was a lot that I learned during the talk that he hadn't told me before. Mm. One thing, for example, was um, police trying to fit him up on a murder charge at one point when he'd just been working in like K Shoes or another shoe shop or somewhere. And um, they took him to a police station and... The policeman was like, see all these envelopes? These are all unsolved cases, and I'm going to put one of these on you. Blatantly told him that. My dad was like, what are you talking about? I didn't do it. Even took him to Wormwood Scrubs Prison to uh, be identified by another guy who was part of the crime, and he was like, no, that's not him. But my dad said that he knew him from Jamaica anyway. (laughs) It was really, really mental. Um, Just some other stuff that he'd never told us before, me and my siblings, which was another one of the threads that became very apparent just what grandparents and parents kind of held back from their kids and grandkids in terms of the not so nice side of moving across the world Mm -hmm. to another country that's really cold, unfriendly to set up a new life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did it change your relationship with London and the UK, do you think? No, because
2: I think the thoughts that I had off the back of that, I'd had them anyway. Like I knew what it was like for people, but I think just having hearing that again told to me over and over again the difficulties and the dignity that people had, um, yeah. even though they were faced with racism and only being able to work crap jobs and not much mm. money, and but also the ingenuity that came from people bringing their life here as well and their way of living and culture and stuff and just how it changed the face of the UK. So, um, yeah, I don't think it changed my opinion. I've still got the same bad opinions of Britain and <laughs> the same good ones that relate to yeah music and culture.
0: Yeah. And so just to kind of bring it back to music and culture, just to sort of end on, who artistically is inspiring you at the moment? Who are you listening to? Ooh, do you know what? I probably haven't been
2: listening to as much music over the last year as, yeah, ever as in know, my worry. life. I've been, yeah, listening to less. When I've been buying music, it's been like jazz albums, whether they're like rare reissues or just old albums that I didn't have. Yeah, I haven't been listening to loads of music. When I've had like the odd stream or set, I'll go through tracks. There's been a lot of good drum and bass released in the last year, actually. Mm. Some good albums put out, Crust, Red Eyes that I was... Uh, very honoured to be part of I recorded some some words for the outro ASC's album last year was really good as well But yeah, jazz has been mm. Which I've been listening to a lot more of As I've got older But yeah, that's been the main thing I've kind of been yeah. checking out But it's also really inspiring To be watching and being part of Our EQ50 mentees' progress mm. They're making some wicked tunes And it's almost criminal That they weren't signed up By a load of labels before now yeah um, but yeah, a couple of them have had la- have had tunes signed to labels since the mentor this year's mentorship started.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's
2: amazing to see. That's so
0: nice. It's just like a nice kind of to see that progress in someone mm. and know that you've supported.
2: Yeah. Also, there are other people around um, like Sherelle, Fozia, the Six Figure Gang, Lucy, uh, Yazis, Josie, um, Dobbs. Yeah, I I mm. feel inspired by a lot of the other women coming through the younger generation. Mm. I think the scene is in pretty good hands on the most part when it's left to women. <laughs> 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 uh, some of the men are alright as well. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, so there will be a lot of the same names that I've been supporting and playing for years who are mm. still making good stuff. But yeah, there's there are good people around as well coming yeah. through.
0: Final question. If you could change one thing about kind of the industry and the scene as it is today, what would it what would it be? Do I have to pick just one? No, say <laughs> as many,
2: that, say everything. If you can narrow it down to one, I think the main one would be accountability. People being accountable for decisions that they've made over the years and doing something about it. So there's still time to put right having mostly white men on your roster, on your label roster. Um, there are loads of amazing women producers out there I want to see more black women everywhere Mm. it's pretty sad I guess you can also go as far as using the word disgusting like how few black women there have have been allowed to come to the forefront Mm. of drum and bass and jungle over the years Um, we actually printed a couple of t-shirts honoring the black women artists so DJ producers on one and vocalists on another via EQ50 for Black History Month last Mm -hmm. year it was nice to see all the names together and just realizing how much powerful talent has been
0: without the bookings then then yeah. it, it's like it's exhausting to be yeah. continuously self promoting without being offered the opportunity
2: hopefully things are slowly changing um and just the amount of issues that were called out last year and the work that we've been doing via EQ50 and now there are other organisations around as well, I think it's slowly getting into people's heads. But at the same time, there's still a lot of room for improvement, especially with the old guard. I think people just need to be a lot more open than they have been.
0: Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I think I was having this conversation with my parents and saying one of the things that I really respect about them is that they're really open to learning from us and learning from younger people. And I think there's a difficult tension, but I think it's really important. You always are prepared to learn from younger generations because younger generations come with ideas of the moral kind of perception, like grows and grows and grows and a kind of awareness of something that maybe used to be okay is not okay.
2: Definitely. Yeah, I think both generations can learn from each other. So yeah. obviously you have to respect who came before you because they laid the groundwork and the foundations for you to be able to do what you're doing now. Mm. And in the same respect, yeah, as you, exactly as you've just told, olders or elders can learn a lot from younger people.
0: Did you Flight, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you for having and me. <laughs> um, if people are interested, particularly I'm thinking like EQ50, what's the... Plans up and coming. Like if someone's listening and they're a producer and they're interested in learning more about it.
2: So our socials: um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook are all EQ50 DNB DNB. Um, we've got a private face group for women and non-binary people. Just search EQ50 group and you'll find us. And you just have to answer a couple of questions.
0: Just to check. and you can join the group. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: we've got a website as well: EQ50.co.uk. You can follow us individually if you like. Me, Flight, Mantra, Sweet Pea, Chickaboo, Jenna G, Ali Cat. We've all got our own socials with like the core members of EQ50. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as DJ Flight. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. With Thank us. you for having me. I've I enjoyed appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. And thanks guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> what up, Lex? surprise good women with destined to rise yeah. inspiring celebrating yeah. uplifting the new generation oh, yeah. some hot girls we you know the vibe yeah. all the hot girls come alive all the hot girls we you know the vibe yeah. all my hot girls come alive